0: Good morning. Welcome to the show. Monday, November the 28th. Cold and dry here in TW11 this morning. A perfect counterpoint to the white heat that was generated across the globe over the weekend. Most recently in Japan by Ryan Moore on Vela Azul, who delivered the jockey a second Japan Cup nine years after his first with a ride of great guile, daring and expertise. Would you expect anything less? Vela Azul's sire, Aishin Flash, was bought in utero at the Tattersall's breeding stock sale many moons ago the scepter session start today we'll be talking about the Japan Cup and what might happen in Park Paddocks later in the programme. All the jumping was quite spectacular. Dan and Harry Skelton, another big weekend for them. Discussions of how they managed to get Lamilos to win the Coral Gold Cup and what Harry Skelton's whip ban might mean with the new rules coming in a little bit later in the year. But Newbury had to take a back seat to the delights of Newcastle. Rather, as we expected, Lompresse enhanced his claims as a genuine Gold Cup contender this year, I'll be speaking to his rider Charlie Deutsch, but that was all eclipsed by the spectacular Constitution Hill. It's not as though we didn't expect it, but could we have expected a performance of quite that star quality and quite that emphasis? And where does this horse now sit, genuinely, after just four hurdle starts in the pantheon of great hurdlers? In modern history, we'll be trying to answer that question with Timeform's Dan Barber in a few moments time. But first of all, what sort of impression did that leave on you, Daily Mirror journalist David Yates?
1: I've worked for a a red top newspaper, Nick, for 20 years. Now, hyperbole is very much the staple uh, of organs such as the Daily Mirror, uh, but... Even though one tries to keep a a, a lid on that, I think when one is writing about horse racing and people are telling you this is the best ever and all the rest of it, it was very difficult to keep that lid on On Saturday afternoon. I was at Newbury uh, working to cover the uh, Coral Gold Cup for the Sunday Mirror and it was very interesting just um, listening to various members of the racing media. Some of course are given to hype but others very much not so and it was particularly interesting that those members uh, that I spoke to were profoundly affected by the performance of Constitution Hill uh, saying to me do you think this is the best hurdle we've ever seen? I think it's probably the best hurdle I've ever seen. Um, and that is on the back of four runs over Timber. So it's uh, it's a bit like straining to keep the lid uh, on something and, and that pressure is irresistible. It's going to come off, I suspect, over the next few months, but it was something to behold in the fighting fifth.
0: Well, to get a little bit more perspective on this, let's welcome into the show the Jumps editor from Timeform, which is the globally recognised international leader in developing ratings for horses and has been for, for several decades. Now, Dan Barber is also a, a colleague of mine on, on Racing TV. Dan, I think really just for, for everybody listening from, from around the world, I think we need to explain from a from a ratings point of view why this is a horse that can do something that other horses seemingly can't. I mean, it's the same sort of debate we had about, about Flightline on
2: American Dirt a few weeks ago in some respects. He, he was the first comparison I thought of, Nick. and. Part of that lies in just winning margins, doesn't it? You've got a horse who through four starts has won by a combined 60 lengths. And make what you will of the opposition and how ready they were on Saturday. It's just impossible to ignore the distances that he's been able to put between himself and very good horses. I know the Supreme in March was slightly set up because stablemate John Bont and Dice That Dynamo, to an extent, cut each other's throats. But... That led to one massive performance. And I just think we saw another historically huge one. It hasn't made him top rated on time form historically, in terms of the best ever. But after only four starts, it's put him in the first handful, which is which is pretty staggering, really, and flight esque, if you want to compare it to one of your, your flat pals.
0: This horse, then, in terms of um his place in the historical pantheon, what do time forms say? Who's achieved more on your ratings so far? And when did they do it?
2: Uh, well, Night Nurse is still the figurehead. Um, I think most think to Brack, and I think it's fair to say, certainly on social media, I I, I learned the lesson of getting wrapped up in the moment and writing a, a fairly punchy tweet in the aftermath, just from the sheer excitement of it. It was, it, was a, it was a huge thrill, wasn't it, to witness something like that, with the there tends to be this, this real head-to-head from those who refuse to accept anything post-1980 as being better than it was. And those who are guilty of recency bias, but Night Nurse still leads the way. So he's not like Time Former guilty of immediately ascending this horse to States mm. as the best ever. Night Nurse is 182 from that day. He tried to give six pounds to Monksfield. They dead heated in in that race at in the late 70s. Now I wasn't around, but I can I can read a form book, and clearly that was a stunning performance. You're giving six pounds to Monksfield, he's he's winner Aintree. I think he beat Two horses who went on to win the next four champion hurdles. So that's the depth of form that I think people are after with Constitution Hill that perhaps he doesn't have yet. He doesn't have a grade A um, success on his CV in which he's beaten another top-notcher, essentially. But Epitone is still a champion hurdler of two or three years ago now. And it's that burst of pace between three out and two out. My tweet was of a similar vein, but I thought the Time Farm report put it well when it described on Saturday that his combination of cruising speed, tactical versatility, and electric jumping at pace make him the complete package as a two-mile hurdler. And that was the thrust of my tweet on Saturday, Nick, that how can you get a better horse when he does everything in a 10 out of 10 manner?
0: Uh, exactly that. And I think the key here is, how many runs did it take Night Nurse to reach his his peak of 182, and how many runs did it take Isterbrack to reach his peak rating of a hundred and of 180? They had already uh, run several times each mm. over hurdles before they were able to do that. This was Constitution Hill. It was just his fourth start under rules.
2: Yeah, I've, I've, it's freakish. It's freakish. It's. Um, it is, you go into the realms of Frankel on the flat, the stuff that he was doing, Flight Flightline on the flat, Baid on the flat, and over jumps, obviously, your, your modern-day comparisons would be like to sprint to Sacre, who, likewise, were so flamboyant and genuine and honest that they would fully extend, which brings us back to the point I heard you discussing on your Unlock uh, on, on Sunday about, I don't know, it's a... A misnomer, but the notion that oh all the all the best horses just do what's required. Well, some of the best horses will stretch out and sh- give you everything. And I think Constitution Hill's in that bracket. Quite interesting, isn't it? That I think Iasterbrack's peak rating was actually a defeat. It was second to limestone lad, the pair of distance clear in the days before they measured the margin back to the third. That may seem anathema, really, because he was beaten at a short price, but um that that was well into his career, well into it. I think he was retired, say, 18 or 19 months later, whereas Constitution Hill's doing it after only four starts. And I think the question with a horse like him, as we had with Frankel, is can anything push him, to him for him to really register one of those off-the-scale ratings? We're talking mid-180s, for instance.
0: Uh, do you ever see a, a time when a horse like this could force you to... It rescale your entire ratings mechanism, like Arkell did back in the 1960s.
2: Yeah, that's that slight elephant in the room, isn't it? Because they are the likes of Arkell, Millhouse was so far removed from what's come subsequently. I shouldn't really say this, but I, I think if you could revisit, maybe there might be a pound or two, locked off. But I don't think he could potentially be in that bracket. But there's no there's no desire from Timeform's perspective to give ratings that people might deem outlandish. And I think that was some of the pushback that, oh, they're giving ratings out again just for attention. I mean, <laughs> no interest in doing that. The the notion that Timeform would want to give ratings that people could broadly question would actually be a negative to the company. People would think, well, they, they've lost credibility. But uh, how can you look at a performance beating Eberton 12 lengths without really coming off the bridle and winning that supreme as he did? Um, yet to win a race of course Nick by anything other than double digits so yeah I think he's very special very special indeed.
0: Dan Barber there jumps editor from Timeform, David Yates from the Daily Mirror any, any further notes on Saturday's performance before we move on?
1: Many of us, and I include me in this, over the last couple of months have been saying, what really? This unbeaten mare, who's a dual winner of the champion hurdle, is now second favourite behind a star novice of last season. We've been saying that with a degree of uh, incredulity. Well, we're all converts to that now aren't we that um, Honeysuckle can be backed at 9-2 to to become the first mayor in Cheltenham history to win uh, the champion hurdle on three occasions and the final sign off is that this was the best crowd that Newcastle had had for a fighting fifth card since 2011 that was with a train strike and it was also with constitution hill given his connections blessing to run in the race um as late as monday afternoon so perhaps there's a lesson there for uh, racing's marketeers who are apt to think outside the box when it comes to uh, attracting new people to the sport. They can put on all the bands, the booze, the bouncy castles, anything else uh, beginning with B, but good horses in horse racing are what you need. The clue is in the name.
0: Yeah. Well, Constitution Hill may have stolen most of the headlines on Saturday at Newcastle, but had it not been for him, they'd have been uh, completely hogged by Lompresse, who was very good under top weight in the rehearsal chase, enhancing his claims for big prizes during the course of the season, I'm catching his rider Charlie Deutsch now as he's riding out third lot for Venetia Williams at her Herefordshire stable. Um, Charlie, did he do what you expected? More than you expected? Less than you expected? How did you assess the performance?
3: Um, yeah, from from last year, it was what I what I was hoping for. Um, but uh, yeah, the way he jumped was very. There's one big mistake, but apart from that, his jumping was. Um, yeah as good as i could ask for and um yeah it was um he did everything i couldn't have asked for more basically
0: yeah you mentioned he, he, he blundered at the sixth fence was that just an aberration because normally his his fencing technique is pretty unimpeachable uh
3: yes exactly um yeah i think so um i probably if i'd squeezed him into it he might have um attacked it but i, I just sat on him and he's them. Um, we, he's just come up a bit early and we haven't had the momentum but uh, um, but because he's quite an athletic horse he's, he's managed to survive and not make it a big deal and, um, and then from then on he really got his eye in and I suppose he's a bit fresh a bit fresh um, coming back onto the race course and, uh, um, but after that mistake then he's really got his eye in and measured his fences brilliantly.
0: Talk quite a bit about ground with this horse and the idea that he he doesn't want the ground too quick because he had a tendon injury in his youth. Did he feel like he travelled as well on a, just a slightly tighter surface than he often faced last year? Uh,
3: yes, he travelled he travelled um, really well on it, and um, um, yeah, he's not. Although, um, yeah, I suppose the softer ground is just safer, but uh, he, he goes perf- just as well on the, the, the quicker ground, and um, uh, yeah, he's he's not slow either. So it's it, um he's got gears so it didn't um it didn't matter at all really um it's just I suppose from a you know safety point of view um you you can
0: um rest easier after if it's soft ground has he come out of the race okay uh
3: yeah um well i I've, I've seen him this morning and he seems okay but obviously we'll see over the next few days um yeah just to make sure but um, apparently he seems okay yeah
0: good stuff uh, do you think do you- do you think the King George is a is a race that that he could shine in?
3: Um, yeah. Well, um, I wouldn't be put off by it. Um, obviously, got to make sure the ground's okay. And I, I don't know what the plans are, but um, we'll see. We'll see how he is from now to then, I suppose. But I don't know what Venetia and um, Mr. Pink and Andy, what their plans are. But um, yeah, we'll see. And. Um, um, but, but yeah, he's perfectly capable and he's just a, just a very good horse. So um, he seems to handle handle whatever we've been putting in front of him so far. So um, no, I wouldn't be put off by it.
0: Jockey Charlie Deutsch there, a fine ride it was on Lom just saving that little bit. Dave, your thoughts on, on him as a, a Gold Cup contender? Do you think more of him, less of him, the same of him?
1: I think more of um, Lom as a result of that yeah he was giving 26 pounds to a, a going places in form into overdrive of course the, a horse that wouldn't be mentioned in dispatches as any sort of cheltenham gold cup I hope um but he gave that horse 26 pounds and he did so ultimately i think in a comfortable fashion so you'd have to take this as a a step forward for long Presse, eh? and it was it, it was great to see a um a horse for who's a contender for honors in a race like the cheltenham gold cup uh, lug a big weight in a handicap in the rehearsal chase it was something of a of a throwback to days gone by and it was really great to see
0: so it's unusual to prioritize Newcastle over Newbury on this day but that's the way the cards fell I want to uh, come back to the Coral Gold Cup and the victory of Lamilos, and what you thought it told us about uh, the skeletons about the race itself and maybe a word or two on the Whip ban and fine picked up by Harry Skell, particularly through the prism of the rules that are about to change. A reminder that he got um, £2,900 fine and a seven-day suspension for hitting the horse eleven times, three over the the threshold. More of that in a moment. What about the race? First of all, Dave,
1: uh, I, I thought it was a really exciting first renewal under its uh, current banner. This will be an engaging story of the seasons to come the two brothers uh, dan and harry skelton um dan is becoming uh, a or very quickly almost uh, before his time a, a sort of senior spokesman for horse racing and i think he's taken uh, that mantle really well he he stresses every weekend or at least the last two weekends how much it means to him uh, to combine with his brother to win races like this and th- there are going to be many more of them with regard to the whip band, well you know I- i've banged on time and time again about where this is taking us i think it would offend nobody uh who loves horse racing uh who would have watched it Um nobody would have been repulsed by the use of the compressed foam pro cush uh it will happen in I think the months uh, that follow, that a horse will suffer a disqualification as a result of that racing will. Just to, but suffer... he w-
0: he wouldn't have been disqualified under the new rules. No, that's... but he
1: would with. But he would with one more hit, wouldn't he?
0: Yeah. When we move to these rules, are you in favour of the disqualification happening on the day, or are you in favour of the uh, of the measure that's come in whereby it takes place some days later? Because from a punting viewpoint, I see representatives from bookmakers and 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 keen punters are saying no just pay out on first past the post and do this for prize money purposes and uh, uh, only um, whereas you know those of us who work in in broadcasting and the media are saying we don't really want to leave not thinking that we've 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 got the result of this great sporting event fully wrapped up
1: yeah well i mean you're asking me whether i um whether i agree uh with a or b uh, way of dealing with a, a situation that i think is absolutely crazy um i i think for the uh for racing's good image i think that those uh those deliberations would be left would be better left until uh days later because what will happen and, and i'm thinking principally of a radio station like bbc5 live who take um Whip bands. When you when you when you're driving home from the races, and I wouldn't dream of denigrating the the the, the excellent work that that John Hunt and uh, his colleagues do. Uh, those who work on the sport when you send uh when you listen to a sports bulletin at the top of the hour uh you're dealing with people who don't know racing and anytime there's a whip ban that's what they pick out they will say so and so won the big race but so and so got a whip ban now when we get to disqualifications th- this is this was one of my one of my arguments at the time I, I've always hated the numbers. I think that the BHA's obsession with how things look rather than how they actually are will ultimately threaten to bring the sport down, and I and I mean that. I think that there is an existential threat that comes from within as a result of that. Um, but when uh, it when we have a disqualification, the adverse publicity towards racing that racing has created itself it it will be so damaging um so it, it's it's a really in a way nick it's an unfair question to ask i would rather that those things were dealt with after the fact okay. and and i realize that that is um an imperfect way of looking at it but when it's a complete dog's breakfast of a rule uh with uh seven or eight the numbers were ridiculous in the first place jamie steer came up with them before uh he hot-footed it out of british racing to leave us uh to clear up this mess so personally that's how i would do it but i think it's crazy this will Take a big chunk out of racing's backside one Saturday afternoon and we will suffer adverse publicity. Uh, fewer people will want to be involved with the sport. And, um, well, full marks to those who came up with a ridiculous rule. Well, you were one of them, but there we are. We won't go into that.
0: Well, we can go into that. That's fine. I mean, as I've said many times, and it's something that it's very hard to get through to to some correspondents. The, the British Horse Racing Authority invites a group of people from across the industry to consult as part of a steering group on these measures. All those people have completely different viewpoints on the continuing use of the whip for encouragement. You know what my position is. My position is that the whip should be continued to be used for encouragement. There was a strong feeling that the numbers should come down among some of the people in that room. One or two people thought like you that the numbers were ridiculous in the first place but everybody conceded that the genie was out of the bottle on that and you couldn't simply do away with uh, with the numbers uh, or indeed increase the numbers so you were left with a legacy however dubious you thought that legacy was and you had to work work within it um there's an awful lot of good work in that report an awful lot about better education of the use of the whip more responsible use of the whip i i listened to tom scudamore and pj mcdonald advocating for for use of backhand only in order to maintain the whip for encouragement. And I thought that was a perfectly compelling argument insofar as it's gone through. It's not something I would have thought of before we went into that consultation process. I don't think you're ever going to reach a perfect solution unless you simply say, right, we'll do away with this. But I, like you, believe that the whip is crucial if we are to maintain the sport as we know it, and not only as a safety tool, but as a way of encouraging horses to reach maximum potential in a horse race and make the sport as exciting for punters as it possibly can be. I disagree this is a dog's breakfast. I think that it has been carefully and sensitively put together. There will be imperfections because it is complex and it is unwieldy. Um but I don't think there's going to be a raft of disqualifications. If there is one, I believe that there might not be another one for an awful long time and I think the positives will outweigh the negatives. It, fundamentally this has got to stop win at all costs in big races and if harry skelton had gone to 11 the other day he would have received a suspension that would have been twice as long and a fine that would have been significantly greater and you have to believe that the combination of that plus the added uh, disincentive given the fact that if he'd gone one more over there had been a disqualification he would have thought twice about how many times he went over the limit gamble or no gamble coral gold cup or no coral gold cup
1: I agree with the education. I, I've always said that um, that jockeys should be educated educated in uh, the correct use of the whip. Um, I think that the numbers were flawed, and unfortunately, I think that among the jockeys' community, a bit like in other um, areas of society, where you're not allowed uh, to voice opinions that people don't like i think many of them were uh reluctant to come out and and say what they thought about uh the use of the whip um i feel another thing with the numbers well, they, with they absolutely the... they
0: absolutely weren't i mean the, the senior jockeys have led deputations you know for, well, for okay, several well, years and right and you and i okay, have been well, part of some of those to, to, yes, to, to, I, to keep.
1: okay well i i've i've worked with lots of jockeys uh when it when and we're going back and and you know this because you and I've talked about this for years and years but going back many years when Jamie Steer first came up with his numbers I talked I I got a um a, a petition from the whole of the well not the whole of the weighing room but damn near the whole of the weighing room that I took to the BHA and you were there at the time um and Not many of those jockeys want to come out and give interviews about why they hold the views that they do because they think they're going to get pelters on social media. So I don't agree with you on that point. And I think with the numbers, again, from my own point of view, somebody who loves horses, who loves thoroughbreds, who loves horse racing, um, I I, I, I am uh, repulsed now and again by other transgressions, uh, with the whip, particularly uh, place. I see horses hit in the stifle. I see horses hit too quickly without time to respond. see horses hit with brutal force when a jockey has either left it too late or or messed things up and then calls on the horse to fish, fish him or her out of the soup. And yet, none of those as far as I'm aware, come under uh, the umbrella for disqualification. It's just merely uh, the stewards there with their abacus counting up to, uh, what will it be um 11 or well it'll or be 12. 12
0: it'll be 12 for jumps 11 for
1: yeah and for an 11 on the flat
0: right i think we will press on um whilst lamilos has no doubt enhanced his grand national credentials and for that matter the big dog who was an incredibly popular and very impressive winner of the troy town chase at navan yesterday Another horse who has Aintree on his mind, but rather more imminently is Jess Keel, who's a sure priced favourite for this weekend's feature over the Grand National Fence, is the Beecher Chase at Aintree. Trained by Oliver Greenall and Josh Guerriero, the training partnership that is going I mean, tremendously well, but with relatively little fanfare. It's 16 winners in the last six weeks, 10 winners in the last three and a half weeks, with still a little bit of this month left to go. And Ollie Greenall joins me now. Ollie, this has been a, a, a tremendous month. Um, is Jess Keel in good enough form off the back of his excellent second over the fences last time to, to give you a, a real marquee moment at a track you know very well?
4: Yeah, I'd say so, Nick. Um, he's come out of the race really well. It's been exactly a month, which I think is just long enough. He had a hard enough race at Aintree um, last time. Uh, it was a good battle, and he have just touched off. But he, he seemed fresh and well. He touched to the fences extremely well. I think the extra distance should be perfect. He's won over three miles before, and Henry just felt he was always just slightly rushed off his feet last time over two and a half. So we're fingers crossed that the extra the extra distance could could eat some improvement out of him.
0: I mean, given your own history with with Aintree and your family's history with with Aintree, your father was chairman of the race for an awful long time. Was this a horse that was bought with the Grand National in mind? Yeah, well,
4: he was he was Dad buys a lot of foals in France and he, he was one of them and we we picked, he he won a um uh cross country race in France quite early on and we always felt that that he could be a fox hunter's horse. That's sort of dad's sort of race. He always likes to to have horses to go for for H3 having won it himself. Um and unfortunately we we missed the fox hunters last last year, um so we went and we ran him in France and he and he won a listed race, so he's he's not qualified to run in the fox hunters this season either. so we just thought uh, we'd try and keep Dad happy and 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 go for the Sefton and the and the Beecher with him um obviously yeah, we're, I'm from literally twenty minutes from the track and it's the first track I ever went to as a child and you know it's a special place for, for the family so um to win there would be very special.
0: Do you think? Do you think this horse was trying to tell you something? Hang on a minute. I'm a bit too good to be to be running in amateur riders' races. No disrespect to all the brilliant amateur riders in your family, and there've been a lot of them, including your brother and your dad.
4: I know. I think I think it was a double blow. And I said he, he couldn't run in the in the Foxtons' Then Dad was delighted when he won in France, and then when I, I left it a few weeks and told him that, meant he couldn't run um, uh, you know, this year's Fox he was pretty disappointed. But, yeah, I think so. I think I think if we go and win a nice race with him, I think that won't be too disappointed.
0: Okay, so the extra distance will suit this weekend. He's he's now rated 137. He's gone up four pounds. Do you see this as a horse that could could go to a higher grade? He is, after all, only six.
4: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I th- he had a reasonably hard life as a young horse. These French horses, they, they start them young. So I think... You know, in retrospect, if he was a British horse, you'd sort of look at him as a slightly older than maybe what he seems. Um, but having said that, he's reasonably lightly raced since coming over. He's he's done nothing but you know improve and and um, really just seems to love love um, the style of racing over here, etc. So I think he can improve a bit. Whether he's, well, I think you know, I don't think we can get too overexcited. At, I think the nationals probably slightly. Um, to our uh, to our bit of reach, but I don't know you know you never know with these horses. he's definitely improving um and you know we'll just have to see
0: and for you and and Josh Garriero, your training partner, this has been the stuff of dreams this season it's it's really, really taking off um just how how big is the operation now
4: yeah so we we have we have sixty horses on the yard um we've, we this is our sixth year now we've been you know steadily having increased winners each year. We had 37 winners last year, 37 winners the year before, you know, so we haven't, we've been slowly, slightly under the radar, but, you know, we've been, we've been having enough winners um, just probably lacking the quality, really, um, and this year it's really, really, um, you know, we've had a lot more winners and we've had better quality and had more runners, you know, nicer, nicer meetings, which has definitely helped our profile. Um, I think Dad's French horses, that sort of system's really, really helped us, he buys sort of 8 or 10 foals every year and um, in the past they've probably been sold to go to, to other yards whereas now we've got the owners that we can actually buy them to come to come into the yard which has really helped um, and some of our nicest horses we had a horse called a Rocco run the other day for JP that looks a nice horse and obviously Jess Skeel Publique, we've got Herbie could be going to entry as well on Saturday um, is a nice horse as well so we just, you know we just the higher class of horses definitely Sort of, you know helps you get noticed
0: so time time to reflect on the japan cup of 2022 we spoke to nahiro goda last week we always do when it comes to to japanese racing uh host of the the green channel of course and you, you heard nahiro's over here uh tarasul Sales at the scepter session so we're essentially killing a couple of birds with with one stone here but uh, let's let's reflect on the race first of all nahiro before we talk about the the bloodstock significance of, of, of vela azul um to what extent do you think the, the, the performance was down to the ride from Ryan Moore? To what extent was it the jockey? To what extent was it a, a very talented horse?
5: Well, you know, the first of all, of course, Ryan Moore is a very, very good jockey. And Ryan Moore has... Wrote, ridden at the Tokyo race course for many many times you know he know how to win in Japan how to win at Tokyo race course and uh, of course yes the winner of the Japan Cup Ben Azul he's you know he, he's he's a very late bloomer but he's now rising like a skyrocket yes you know this I think it was in a good combination between good improving horse and uh, well experienced very good
0: class world jockey very very low very very low mileage for a five-year-old isn't he do you do you think he can build from this or or is the temptation now to say well he's done enough
5: yeah well the azul you know he was a little weak when he was yelling when, when he was a two-year-old so the trainer you know uh didn't want to give him a uh, the hardest, t- very tough time when he was a young horse. So this is the reason why, you know, the horse was running on dirt track, which has, you know, uh, have a very, very cushion. Uh, so then, you know, now he is majored. So uh trainer started to send him to the, you know, quite tough race on tough course. And uh, back in June, he won. June stakes at the same course on the same distance as Japan Cup. Well, this race is, you know, had very good standard because second finisher break up subsequently won uh, Copa Argentina. This is the G two Tokyo race course and Vera Azula, you know, his you know first appearance in autumn time was uh, Kyoto Dai Shoten and he won this race impressively. So now, you know, yeah, he's you know he he's now matured. He's you know. Uh, completed as an athlete
0: now now very interestingly aishin flash the sire of vela azul is a, a horse by king's best the guineas winner out of a german mare called moon lady and moon lady was bought right where you're standing now at that tattersall's mare's sale many years ago for three hundred thousand. so it's it's all coming full circle now hero
5: exactly nick you are right yes moon lady she was bought by shatai farm here at the december sale many years ago so when Shadai bought moon Lady, she was in full king's best then next spring you know resulting fall was a shin flash so actually you know Dan was carrying a Japanese Derby winner when she was offered at the December sale. Mm. Um you know Terry Yoshida said ah what, I was so lucky to buy this mare.
0: <laughs> well wasn't he just and of course not only a Japanese Derby winner but now the sire of a of a very good Japan Cup winner as well. What's the Japan <laughs> what's the Japanese interest like at the at the sale this week? Do you expect big Japanese purchases in in, in some of the big lots?
5: Yeah, you know, I think in my opinion, this year's catalog of the December sale is one of the best I've ever seen, especially, you know, set the session on Monday and Tuesday. Oh, this is a very, very exciting draft from all over the world. So now I'm in Newmarket, enjoying the sunshine, enjoying watching a very nice videos and theirs. We have a Representatives from all major breeding operations from Japan, like Northern Farm, Shadai Farm, Oibake Farm, Lake Villa, and JS Company, all of those, you know, major players are sending their representative. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure they are ready to, you know, pay quite a big amount of money to try to buy those, you know, very nice mares and phillies here on Monday and Tuesday.
0: And here go to there from the Green Channel. David Yates back with me. David, what did that tell us about Ryan Moore and 2022?
1: Yeah, well, nothing we didn't already know. Um, it started back in May when he seemed to win every other race at Chester. And... It's continued throughout the season. We've talked about um, Ryan Moore's uh, Anas Mirabilis of 2022, and this was uh, emblematic of that, wasn't it? Uh, like a centre forward who just instinctively does the right thing. He made the right choices in the straight. He was one off the rail. Uh, it looked pretty tight there. There were 18 runners. They were all getting in each other's way. And he had a charmed life aboard uh, Vela Azul to get up in the shadows of the Post and win his second Japan Cup. Tom Markon wasn't quite so fortunate on Daring Tact. Um, he was tightened up by uh Shariye inside the last half furlong before uh running on strongly to finish fourth. I don't think it cost um daring tact the race, but this was the, the headline about the 2022 Japan Cup was just of a, a a jockey at the absolute peak of his powers as he's been all year in Ryan Moore.
0: Now, sad news came to us yesterday of the death of John Hanmer at the age of 82. Remembered and much loved as an integral part of the BBC commentary team for many years, most celebrated for his sterling work on so many Grand Nationals, when they really were at the heart of the public's consciousness. For many of those, of course, he worked alongside Sir Peter O'Sullivan. For many, toward the end of his career, he worked alongside J.A. McGrath, Uh, Jim is a a regular correspondent to this podcast. I spoke with him earlier, and these were his recollections of John and his time spent with
6: him. Well, he was a man who was a, um, you know, we say it, uh, there's no characters in racing. Well, of course, uh, we know that's very untrue. And uh, he was uh, a typical example. He was one of the great characters of the, the press box. Uh, always quiet, understated, but a man with a very, very dry sense of humour and uh, a very, pers- uh, with, with great powers of perception. I, I think, as a commentator, uh, he would say that his voice would be, along with Peter O'Sullivan, probably two of the most distinctive uh, voices ever heard on BBC Sport. Uh, it was uh, it was so, so distinctive. he He called thirty two grand nationals, uh, and he was absolutely heroic uh, on occasions. One of them was uh, uh, red Marauder's Grand National, which uh, I think was in two thousand and one. Uh, when probably about two minutes before the start, Malcolm Kemp, the uh, producer, said in our earphones, Sound has gone down at beaches. Tony O'Hare is out there, but we have no power. We can't get him. So, John Hamler, you will call Tony O'Hare's leg of the Grand National. Well, as you probably know, um, John's usual role would be to call the first three fences, then to cross the to Tony O'Hare, or whoever was there at beaches, Julian Wilson in the old days and then he would pick it up again at fences 11 and 12 before crossing back to the grandstand for 13 14 uh, the chair and the water and then out again and he would do 17 18 19 so it was a it was a pretty well established pattern that he would have to follow but on this occasion he ended up calling basically the whole race himself and when they went away from him, uh, he said, I can see their backsides better than I can see the, the, them at the front because they're racing away from me. He had a little television monitor about uh, seven inches uh, across and he was uh, calling the basically the, the, the bulk of the race off that. It was an absolutely heroic and memorable performance uh, by uh, one of the, the most accurate and most reliable commentators I think there's ever been.
0: And for everyone who worked with him, in, including you, uh, and from every anecdote that has, has passed my way over the last 12 or 15 hours, uh, a, a very reliable and um, very loyal colleague as well.
6: A hugely loyal colleague. And one of his tasks, of course, was to stand by, stand beside Peter O'Sullivan. Uh, and he was what they called a you said man. So, quite often when you're, you're calling them you can't, when you're calling so many horses past the, the post, you really want to know immediately uh, what you actually said you, uh, first, second and third um, and you have a man beside you but also he's there as a spotter uh, particularly in jumps races, is very very uh, good to have a, a second pair of eyes, particularly when the field strings out and uh, the spotter picks up, the pulled up back in the field or ones that you may have missed a long way behind the leaders. So, yeah, he was so reliable. But he's, uh, And, of course, he, did, he was in the same role when I took over from Peter in 1997 and uh, he was a tremendous friend and, uh, as you say, a very loyal colleague. But the great thing about him in that role was that uh, when you you have a what they call a lazy mic, and uh, you can hear what he's saying, but nobody else uh, is supposed to be hearing anything at all. So he can prompt you if you're going wrong, or if there's a fall that you've missed, or, or, or whatever. But the great thing about John was well, he would never ever speak in that role unless there was something that needed addressing, or something that'd gone wrong, or whatever. So in my position, whenever I heard him speak, I knew that was. Full alert, red alert, alarm bells are flashing. I've got to take care and I've got to uh, be alert what's happening. So uh, it's um, he was just invaluable and probably one of the greatest team players the BBC has ever had.
0: Uh, and he was agent to Steve Cawthon. And for our American listeners, he Steve Cawthon said, I would simply never have been champion jockey were it not for, for John Hanmer.
6: Yeah, he had a great relationship with Steve, uh, and as you say, he he did uh, enable him, he put in all the hard work to, to get him to win that title. He actually backed him to win the title, uh, John. Maybe that inspired him a little bit more as well um, uh, when he beat uh, Pat Edry in a, in a thrilling tussle for the title. He was also agent to Cash Asmussen who uh, he had a very good relationship with, and also Mick Canan, uh in, in latter years. Uh, also, he was a, a race form stalwart. Uh, he was one of the men that, one of the the, that, uh, uh, of the, uh, the, the uh, people who reported on on uh, what actually happened and that went into the form book. So he was for, for 40, well over 45 years, a stalwart of the press room and a much, much loved figure.
0: jm McGrath, with his recollections, of John Hanmer, who sadly died yesterday at the age of 82. Well, time now to draw things to a a close in the company of, of David Yates. Before I get a tip from you for today, Dave, or to just have a quick look ahead to the Tingle Creek at the weekend, it could be a clash between the multiple Sandown winner Grenatine Uh, The hugely talented Shishkin on a recovery mission and uh, and Nicky Henderson was quite bullish about him when I spoke to him on my Sunday programme yesterday and the returning Arkle hero Edward Stone. Just the three of them would give us a, a cracking race.
1: Yeah, very interesting. As you say, Grenatine is the horse who um, has, what is it, three Grade 1 wins at Sandown over this course and distance, two Celebration chases and last season's Tingle Creek. Two of those, of course, under Briny Frost. Uh, Our best wishes are with her. Uh, She's due for another spell on the sidelines as a result of a fall on Saturday. Um, Harry Cobden, now very much the jockey aboard Grenatine. Uh, He was... uh, in the plate when this horse won the Holden Gold Cup under top weight he shares favouritism with Shishkin of course Shishkin uh, whose trainer can do little wrong at the moment but Shishkin the last time we saw him uh, was abject in uh, the Queen Mother Champion Chase he was then diagnosed with that rare bone condition but all the reports from Seven Barrows from last week are that uh, he's now back and shining again I think he has one more piece of work uh, on Tuesday morning and of course then we've got Edward Stone as well uh he is a winner of the Arkle at cheltenham last season he's another one who was due to run uh last weekend and it's the tingle creeks uh, gain and ascots loss that we've got edward stone because it, he's another horse who really makes this um a feature to look forward mm. to i must admit it's a it's a saturday that uh i i very much look forward to the Tingle creek at Sandown. And have you got something for today for me? 4.45 at Kempton, Nap Hand, a two-year-old trained by Alan King, second over course and distance on nursery debut in the middle of this month and I hope can go one better here despite a two-pound rise in the weights. 4.45 race at Kempton Park, selection number two, Nap Hand.
0: David, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Monday, the twenty eighth of November. See you again tomorrow. Bye bye.
4: Star the is the leader. Solaris in the centre and over to John Hammer. The hardware on the inside starts to light right up there on the outside. A bad pack by Bob Teslow, but he's all right. And. They've jumped the first, and the fauna was Gala's image at the first, and over the second, it's Star the Delight. Hide in front, in the centre of the course, then Uncle in Brown Windsor, GA. They're all over the second, Mr Frisk is up there too, and coming to the third, the open ditch. And Uncle Merlin and Andy found a very slow jump by Brown Windsor, and all of there was Thinking Cap, and as they go to the fourth, it's conclusive as another fauna of on that one, and as they go over the next, it's the Delight, Uncle Merlin, and Polyphemus and Charter Hardware, and over to Julian Wilson.
0: You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with FitzDares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.